Hi, my name is Denny Malenkov and um, today I'll be taking you through the third Sabbath School lesson from July 11 to 17 and the title is Seeing People Through Jesus' Eyes. Looking forward to sharing on this uh, really exciting subject and before we plunge in, I'm just going to just spend a, a moment in prayer. So let's just pause and pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word together. And I pray that uh, wherever we may be, where we, when we are listening to this message, that you will bless us through your Holy Spirit and you will help us to understand uh, the message that you have for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great lesson, uh, this particular one in this series, Making Friends for God, the Joy of Sharing in His Mission, which is the theme for the quarter. And as I pointed out, the title is Seeing People Through Jesus' Eyes. So I'm just going to be picking up on a, on a few things. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but just picking out a few things that really spoke to me from this particular lesson. And I hope and pray that they will encourage you as well. The memory text was, then he said to me, then he said to them, this is from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I love the introduction um, of this lesson and I'm going to read it because I think it's really powerful. And then I'm just going to share a little personal experience. It begins with these words, Jesus is the master soul winner. By watching the way Jesus worked with people, we learn how to lead others to a knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ. Journeying with him through the crowded streets of Jerusalem, the dusty paths of Judea, and the grassy hillsides of Galilee, we discover how he revealed the principles of the kingdom to seeking souls. And so as we take a look at the gospel accounts, we have a, a great opportunity to, to go uh, deep into the heart and the mind of Jesus and how he connected with people, for he was indeed the master soul winner. Back in 2007, I had the privilege, and it really was a privilege, to spend six weeks with Mark Finley. Now, Mark Finley is probably one of the best known Seventh-day Adventists, evangelists. He's still evangelizing um, and going strong, and he's just such an inspiration. And he's the one that is the author of this particular Sabbath School lesson. And so I had the opportunity of sitting at his feet for six weeks during a campaign that he ran there in Melbourne, my hometown. And in particular, he, he there were three venues and one of the venues was in the western suburbs where I grew up. So I had the opportunity of, of spending time with him and learning from him and understanding the principles and the science of salvation, as he called it. And he was actually using uh, the language of Alan White, who speaks of, speaks of witnessing and sharing our faith. She, she sees it and refers to it as a science, and it really is science of salvation. And so during those six weeks, I mean, it's not a long time, just, a, just six weeks, but I just learned so much from him. And the Lord has really blessed me in public evangelism in particular since that time. For the last 13 years, I've been putting those principles into place. And I have seen how God has, has worked mightily through those principles that are based on the scriptures 
and the spirit of prophecy. That's basically all he used. But one of the key things that that came out of my learning um, under under his mentorship during those six weeks whilst he, he ran three campaigns. And by the way, uh, this guy is a machine. He, he is just so committed, so kind, so loving, um, but just, yes, yeah, such a hard worker. He was literally preaching at three different sites, three times a week at each site and at the beginning um, because of the of the large number of people that we had at a couple of the venues he was like doing two and three sessions a night and I remember one uh, one weekend towards the beginning there I think he preached about 20 times from Friday through to Sunday he preached about 20 times and not only was he preaching um, the evangelistic messages at the three different venues but he was also preaching at churches on a Saturday morning. I just could not believe it. And and he wasn't just preaching at one church. He'd go and preach at one church like in Sabbath school. He'd then be whizzed uh, whizzed over to another church not far away to to preach some more. And um, yeah, it's just incredible. Just his passion, his commitment. And so as I read through the lesson, um, yeah, this quarter, I'm just, I'm, I know it's all true um, because I saw it with my own eyes. And, um, yeah, he, he just really is a, a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And I just praise the Lord that I was able to to work under him. But anyway, back to my story. <clears throat> he, um, yeah, he taught us a lot of things. But the one thing that came out of what I, what I learned from him above and beyond everything else was the importance of connecting with people. The importance of seeing people through Jesus' eyes, as the title of this lesson um, states. And, you know, he, he he just loved people so much. And I just need to share this one story. I don't even know if I'm going to get into too many scriptures. There's just so many stories to share from my experience with him. But um, there's a, a wonderful young couple that I know really well, tragically, um, the young man, he passed away from, he, he, he had brain cancer and he battled that for two and a half years. Um, guy called Lyndon, a uh, beautiful young man, uh, he, he passed away sadly um, a couple of years ago. Anyway, his, his wife at the time, I'm not sure if they were married uh, at that particular time. They may have been, they may not have been. Anyway, uh, she, she wasn't an Adventist. And she was coming along to the meetings there in a place called Keelor in the western suburbs of Melbourne. And uh, Mark Finley, uh, he went out of his way. I mean, you can imagine how busy, how flat out he was. He went out of his way to connect with her, to, to show her love um, and so forth. And, yeah, he was, he, he was just so loving, uh, so loving towards her that at, at the end of it, at the end of it, he, he decided that he would go and uh, watch her play netball. She was a, a very good netball player. Her name's Elizabeth, in case you're wondering. She was a fantastic netball player. And so he went to watch her play netball. And that just meant so much to her. I mean, she knew how busy he was. I mean, he was just running from one place to the other, just so, so busy, visiting people, even doing Bible studies with people. And yet he took time out to go and watch her play netball. And that just meant so much to her, left such a huge impression on her. And today, 
Um, Elizabeth, yeah, she is a faithful Seventh-day Adventist Christian. She loves the Lord. And even though she's been through a really tough experience uh, beyond what I can imagine and most of you could imagine unless you've been in that situation. She loves the Lord. Um, she is faithful to the Lord and she's seeking to win as many as she possibly can to the Lord. And I know that she shared that with me on many a occasion. Um, yeah, the impact of Mark Finley um, and just his love and, and the way he treated her. So yeah, huge impact on my life as well. I want to just keep reading here in this introduction before I pull out some, some scriptures that we want to take a look at. It says here, Jesus saw all men and women as winnable for his kingdom. Yeah, and that's what Mark Finley taught us um, very clearly, that every single person is a candidate for the kingdom of, of, of heaven. And John 3.16 is very clear. And you should know it. I mean, if you don't, um, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, and that includes just one single person, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That God's love is so powerful, so immeasurable. You know, we've said this over and over again, um, at different times I've said this, and I believe it with all my heart, and, and the Bible says it's so true, that even if there was one person that needed to be saved, Jesus would have come and he would have, he would have, he would have gone through the entire salvation experience here on this earth just to save one single person. And I love how, how the lesson here puts it. He valued each and every person for his kingdom. He saw each one. He saw each one through the eyes of divine compassion. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. He saw Peter not as a rough, loath-mouthed fisherman, but as a mighty preacher of the gospel. He saw James and John not as quick-tempered sons of thunder. And I've added that bit um, that Jesus referred to them, gave them that nickname, sons of thunder, fiery, radicals, but as enthusiastic proclaimers of his grace. And I just want to pause there just for a moment. Um, it's so fascinating to me that Jesus had, he had his 12 disciples and then he had an inner circle and his inner circle was composed of the sons of thunder, James and John and Peter, you know, the one who was, who was ready to, to mouth off or, or pull out the sword um, just in a, in a split second. And uh, the one who was, yeah, just rash. And, and it's interesting, he had these three individuals who, who were just so explosive. He had them as his inner circle. And the Bible says he would take them away. And there are uh, several incidents there in the Gospels where he would take them away and he'd pray. And in particular, um, on that final night before, before Calvary there in Gethsemane, he, he took Peter, James and John, the Bible says, and he asked them to pray with him. And this just blows me away uh, that the way Jesus invested in people, it's almost as if, and this is probably the case, that, that Jesus looked for, for the toughest assignment. He looked for the toughest assignment amongst his disciples um, and in, in order to show that his grace is able to transform everyone and anyone, and in particular, his grace is able to transform groups. And, you know, I'm a church pastor. 
blessed to be a church pastor for you know just over two decades now and I've been dealing with people in in church land for a while and I know that when you get different people from different cultures and different perspectives um, all coming together um, it can be a challenging situation to, 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 to seek unity and Jesus and Jesus had this amongst his disciples. He had all these different individuals, <clears throat> not just his inner circle, but he had tax collectors. Um, uh, he had others there that, and, and you know, he just had a real motley crew of individuals. And I believe that Jesus did that deliberately to show us that God's grace and His power and the Holy Spirit is able to transform anybody. Um, and any group of individuals uh, in, a, in, in a church setting, in a small group setting for the honor and glory of God. And so, uh, yeah, I want to tap into that word compassion there that, um, that Mark Finley uses here, that Jesus saw everyone through the eyes of compassion. Uh, this, uh, this word compassion appears a number of times in the Gospels. I can't remember offhand now how many times uh, that word appears. But every single time the, the word compassion appears, and in fact in the New Testament, in the whole New Testament, every single time the word compassion, um, when it appears, it's in connection with Christ and Him ministering. Every single time, except for one time. And I believe this is in reference to Christ anyway. And it's the time when um, when the Bible talks about the Good Samaritan, that the Good Samaritan had compassion on, on that poor Jew that was left half dead on the side of the road by the robbers. He had compassion on him. But really, that story, that story is the story of salvation. I mean, we are the ones... Um, each and every person here on planet Earth, we've been beaten up by the devil. He is the great enemy, and Jesus has come along. He is that. He is that good Samaritan, and he has um, had compassion upon us. And so you find that passage in Matthew chapter nine, and I'm just going to read from verse 35 to verse 38, where it says. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Now, that's a, it's, it's a very strong word, that word compassion. I won't go into, into what the Greek um, is. It's uh, <laughs> the word, the word, I'll probably mispronounce it. I'll give it a go. It's a fun, it's a fun word. The word is something along the lines of splagizomai. I call it the spaghetti word. And anyway, it simply means to, to have the bowels yearn or to have the, the heart yearn or to have the heart breaking. It's to be, it's, it's, it's a very, very strong emotion. And it's used in the context in, in a number of ways where people are on the stretch. They're just throwing everything at it and they're pleading to Jesus for help. They're pleading to him for him to have mercy upon them. And notice this, notice this dictionary definition of compassion from Webster's Dictionary. And this, I believe, is the secret why Jesus had so much success in reaching so many different people from so many different walks of life. Notice, notice these words. This is a powerful, powerful definition of that word compassion. 
Its cultivation is considered a virtue in almost all major religions and also in many philosophies. Compassionate acts are generally considered those which take into account the suffering of others and attempt to alleviate that suffering as if it were one's own. That's very, very powerful. And so that's why Jesus had incredible success. Now, as you read uh, that passage, it says, that Jesus had compassion for them because they were weary and scattered. And I'm reading from the New King James Version here. Um, That word weary means confused. Um, A number of different definitions um, can be used based on this original word. It means to be distressed, to be troubled, to be exhausted, to be harassed. And that really does describe um, the situation that we find ourselves in today. You know, we, we live in a community. We live in a world that is facing great distress, great trouble. People are exhausted. Um, they, they are experience, experiencing harassment um, in so many different ways. That word there, scattered, also in the text, it means helpless. It means to have a sense of hopelessness, totally despondent, seeing no way out, downcast and dejected. Wow. I mean, that's just incredible. Uh, as, as I think about those words that Matthew uses to describe uh, the crowds that Jesus saw, that he ministered to, that he spent time teaching and preaching and healing, he looked at a group of people who felt completely hopeless, totally despondent. They saw no way out, downcast and dejected. And I can't help feel, but that is that is a description of life in the third millennium. I don't know about you, but the people that I rub shoulders with more and more, regardless of what kind of um, uh, mask they may put on in public, be it in church or elsewhere, deep down inside, they they are struggling. Um, they they are feeling the pain associated with, uh, you know, with the great stresses that we have today. And if ever there was a time when people needed to receive the compassion of Jesus, it's today. If ever there was a time when people needed to, to be seen through the eyes of Jesus today, and really, if we go nowhere else but just in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, that would be sufficient. That is the lesson in one passage And Jesus goes on and he says to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus here is is praying and pleading to the laborers. He's saying "There's, there's a great harvest out there, but there aren't compassionate laborers. And that is what Jesus is inviting us to be, not just any old laborers, but to be compassionate laborers that see people through the eyes of Jesus. And, uh, and, and a great example of that really is the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. I won't go through the entire story. I'd encourage you to read that. It's found there in John chapter 4. But I find it fascinating here that right at the very beginning of the story, um, the Bible says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. 
he needed to go through Samaria. We often, you know, we just read that and we and we we want to get to the story. You know, we we don't want to read these introductions. Um, we kind of don't think they're all that relevant, and we sort of want to want to move to the juicy uh, bits of the story. But that really, I see, is one of the keys. That is the foundation. Jesus didn't need to go through uh, Samaria. He didn't need to go through Samaria. He could have done what all the other Jews did, avoided Samaria in order to go to Galilee. But the reason why Jesus needed to go to Samaria was because he had a divine appointment. And the lesson picks up on on, on seeking and sensing for providential divine appointments. And Jesus knew there was a woman that desperately needed to hear the good news of salvation. There was a woman in Samaria there at Jacob's well, who was distressed, who was troubled, who was exhausted, who was who was experiencing hopelessness, who was despondent, um, who was downcast and dejected, rejected by her society. And so the Bible says Jesus met this woman, and um, you know this woman is is absolutely flabbergasted that that Jesus wants to have anything to do with her because he is a Jew, and so they. They move into a conversation and um, Jesus asks for, for a favor that this woman cannot refuse in the context of the Middle East, um, not to offer a weary traveler water, which was considered the gift of God, was literally to be sinning against God. You know, Mark Finley brings that out in the lesson. It was to sin against God, not to provide water to a thirsty traveler who has asked you for some water. So so this woman really, uh, I mean, she had a choice. Obviously, um, it would have been considered uh, a huge insult if she didn't fulfill um, this need that Jesus had. But more importantly, what Jesus here is doing is he is showing her respect. He is showing this woman respect who, as the conversation goes, who had five husbands, and Jesus knew that, and he pointed that out to her, five husbands, and the man that she was with was not her husband. Someone brought this out, um, this interesting interesting insight that I'd never thought about. I was listening to a preacher share this in a sermon. I can't remember his name, so I can't give credit to the person. But anyway, uh, he was sharing... How God's number, and for those who know, know who know anything about um, numbers and prophecy and the Bible in general, will know that seven is God's number. That's the number of perfection. Seven days in the week. The seventh day is the Sabbath. A number of sevens in Revelation, and a whole bunch of sevens everywhere else. Seven is God's number. It's the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. How many husbands had this wife had? I mean, this woman had of Samaria, she'd had five husbands. And Jesus says, the man you are with now, number six, is not your husband. And you know where I'm going, don't you? You know exactly where I'm going. Jesus is saying to this woman, and I've got to be careful not to preach because I'm a pastor and I'm an evangelist. So I'm really sorry if this is sounding more like a sermon than a podcast. I don't really do podcasts. Uh, I think this might be the first podcast I've ever done in my life. Anyway, um, this uh, Jesus is saying to this woman, you're not going to find what you are seeking for, what you are looking for in any human being, be it a husband 
or be it someone who is not your husband that you are living with right now. You will only find true perfection. You will only try, you will only find true fulfillment in your life when you come to me. When I fill that void in your life, I am number seven. I am number seven in your life. And if you have me, you will have everything you need. And Jesus says to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And wow, I just I, I just love that story. And Jesus makes it clear to her. And as you read uh, the rest of the story there, you have you have this woman, she goes and she testifies to everyone in her village. She says, come and see the man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Because Jesus, in a very powerful and in a very clear manner, reveals to this woman, this Samaritan woman, that he is the Messiah. He says to her, I am. I am the one. You are seeking for. I am the one that you are longing for, and um, and as I as I think about that, I can't help but think about um, yeah uh, a famous uh, hit song from U two that Irish band U two. I can't remember when it was. I haven't made a note of it. But anyway, they put out a a famous um, hit single, um, and it was entitled "I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For." And really, that song, and if you Google the lyrics of "I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For," if you've never heard of, of that song, um, if you're a bit older like me, you, you would know that song really well. Um, but the song's lyrics really are the cry of the human heart. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And in the and in those lyrics. Um, you have you have references to Jesus. You have references to Calvary. You have references to eternal life through Christ, and it's something. Yeah, it, it's it's really really powerful. And then towards the end of the story, uh, it's really fascinating. Um, yeah, Jesus tells the disciples that the harvest is plentiful. Um, once again, using using that metaphor. Uh, but they, they come to Jesus, the disciples, that they've gone into um, this Samaritan village to buy food, and they come back after they've bought food, and Jesus is obviously hungry, he's thirsty. Um, there's no record of Jesus drinking anything. There is a record of the woman leaving her pot behind and, um, and heading back into the village to share this incredible testimony. But we find, we find the disciples telling Jesus or inviting Jesus to eat. He says, Jesus, eat. And, um, and, and Jesus says to them, he says to them, I'm okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not hungry. And they're like, what do you mean? You're not hungry. I'm reading like from verse 33. Has anyone brought him anything to eat? They're asking themselves. I mean, doesn't, doesn't appear that anyone's brought him any food. And then notice the words of Jesus. I love these words of Jesus in verses 34. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Wow, I love that. My work, sorry, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then he goes on and he says, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white 
for harvest. And so if we see people through Jesus' eyes, there will always be a harvest that is ripe. No matter where that might be, there will always be a harvest. And so where do you begin? I want to sort of wrap up and getting to the end of, of, of this podcast. I want to wrap up. Where do we begin? We begin at home. Jesus said, start off in Jerusalem, go to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the ends of the world. That's in Acts chapter 1. We start off where where we are and we go from there. I remember at the age of 18, I gave my heart and life to the Lord. And yeah, just just an incredible experience that was. And I won't go into that right now. And I remember as as an 18-year-old in year 12, my life was now... Um, transformed by the love of Jesus. He had forgiven me my sins. And I mean, you know, just as well, there isn't time for me to go into um, my testimony. Uh, I just simply say, uh, regarding my past, especially during those teenage years, I lived a life far away from God. I lived a life far away from God. And uh, the fruitage of that was abundantly clear. And that's pretty much how I sum up uh, my life in those teenage years away from Christ. And anyway, uh, coming to Christ and and having this this new life in Christ, I just could not but share this love of Jesus that I had discovered, that I had received, how Christ had come to me, how he had rescued me from the hand of the enemy, and I just wanted to share with everyone and anyone. And I remember sharing with my teachers, uh, my legal studies teacher, I shared with him, in fact, Kenneth Cox was running a, a series at that particular time, a place called Dallas Brooks Hall there in Melbourne, in inner Melbourne. And I invited my legal studies teacher to come along and to be part of that series. And I was, I was handing out videos. This is back in the day of videos. I was handing out videos of Kenneth Cox's uh, programs, um, yeah, of his Bible messages on just general Bible subjects and the book of Revelation and I was sharing with my friends and giving out tracts and books and doing Bible studies and praying and I mean you just couldn't shut me up because I was just sharing the good news of salvation and and I was sharing with everyone what I had found in Christ and so my my challenge to you is my friend wherever you may be if ever there was a time when we needed to show compassion, when we needed to show love, when we needed to to see people through the eyes of Jesus, I believe it is now. And I believe that in this age of COVID and everything that is on the horizon, and I believe it's not going to get better. It's going to get a whole heap worse before it gets better. Jesus told us that, and that's that. That's those labor pains that Jesus spoke of until that great day of that of deliverance when Jesus comes. But I believe if ever there was a time when people needed to hear the good news of salvation and everybody has a void, everybody has a hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. I believe that as we love people, as we show them compassion, as we get close to them, as we show them respect and as we ultimately point them to Jesus, and as we see them through his eyes of love, God will work mighty miracles for his kingdom. And the harvest, the harvest will be plentiful in the kingdom of God. For indeed, it is ripe. And if we show love, we show compassion, um, God will work mighty miracles. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He could do a far better job 
of saving those around us without us. We often get in the way. I certainly do. I get in the way more often than not. But because Jesus wants to save us, he's using us in order to reach out to others. So may God bless you. Um, and I pray that you've been blessed uh, in, in the things that we have explored. I just want to close with prayer. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for all your blessings. I thank you, Father, that you did not see us through human eyes. But Father, you saw us helpless as we were, dead in sin and trespasses as we are. You saw us, Father, through the eyes of your Son, Jesus, and through his heart. Father, it's my earnest prayer that we too will allow the heart of Jesus to transform us each and every day so that as we rub shoulders with those around us, be it at home, at work, at school, at the gym, at church, wherever, that we may see every single person through the eyes of Jesus as a potential candidate for those everlasting courts above. We're longing and looking forward to that day when you come, Lord. And when you come, may you find us ready and also a host of those who through your Holy Spirit, you have used us as instruments to lead to the foot of the cross and ultimately in through those pearly gates is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you.